0: This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening. This is Brother Matthew with the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. I would like to just dive right into our lesson tonight and pick it back up where we left off last week. I began to teach on Acts chapter 15 last week in relation to the Torah, the law of Yahweh, and the Jerusalem Council. And the last thing that we talked about in that sermon was what is the yoke that the Apostle Peter talked about in Acts 15 verse 10 where he said why do you desire to place a yoke upon the neck of these people that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear and I believe I touched on briefly at the end of that lesson what one aspect of the yoke was and I wanted to cover the second aspect of that yoke in this lesson this evening I do believe that the yoke includes the fact that the Pharisees were teaching salvation by something that the person did rather than salvation by what Yahweh has done for us through His Son, Yeshua. See, whether it's circumcision or anything else, any other law, we have to recognize that our salvation is not dependent Upon our ability to obey, that would be a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. What I mean is this. If you ask yourself, have I kept Yahweh's law? You have to answer in the negative. Now, what about your father or your grandfather? Have they kept Yahweh's law? The answer is no. They were also sinners. And the list goes on and on and on down through your personal Ancestry, even if you stopped transgressing the law of Yahweh right now and lived perfectly for your remaining days, you would still not be able to say that you've kept Yahweh's law because you have sinned prior to your hypothetical perfection. So to try and bear the weight of your own sin is an impossibility. Now there is a difference between being a follower of the Torah and being sinless. So I look at myself and my family as being Torah observant people. But that doesn't mean that we are perfect in the Torah. See, there are times when I'm short with my wife or when I catch myself thinking thoughts that I know should not be going through my head. And if you're honest with yourself, you're the same You do the same things, and everyone does the same things, minus one person. That one person is Yeshua the Messiah. See, he was the sinless Lamb of Yahweh, the sinless Son of Yahweh. And we must put our trust in him if we are to ever have hope of eternal life with the Father. And so this is what Peter mentions in Acts 15, verse 11, after verse 10. He speaks of all people being saved through the grace that is given in the Messiah. Uh, This means that Adam and Noah, Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Peter, Paul, and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 that we discussed last week, they were all saved by grace through faith. Not one of these men were saved by their obedience to the Torah. Their obedience to the Torah flowed out of a heart that was first changed by the grace of Yahweh. I often ask people if they can reminisce to what their life was like before Yahweh got a hold to them, as we say in the South. Their life was in shambles. They had no righteousness to bring to the Father. They had no works. They had no anything to bring to Father Yahweh. All they had was to bring an empty hand of faith to the Father, trusting in what He has done for them through His only begotten Son. And so therefore they're not justified, they're not declared innocent in His sight by their works, but rather by what He has done for them. So after this declaration by Peter in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas begin to describe all the miracles that Yahweh had accomplished through them among the Gentiles. And then Yaakov, who we know as James, whose name would more properly be translated into English or transliterated into English as Jacob, we have James standing up and he begins to give his judgment on the matter. Now, I want you to notice carefully that James was the presiding overseer there in Jerusalem. Even after Paul, Barnabas, and Peter gave their assessment, James still speaks up at the end to give his judgment and also give a conclusion on the matter. And James does something that is very beautiful. He hearkens back to the word of the prophets. And this is good because he understands that unless a person speaks according to the law and the testimony, there is no light in them, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. And so James quotes in Acts 15, 16 through 17, he quotes a passage from the book of the prophet Amos. And James' quotation here is actually taken from the Greek Septuagint translation when you consult the origin of the citation. The majority of the New Testament quotations from the Old Testament are direct quotations from the Greek Septuagint text, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so James quotes the Septuagint text of Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 12, which says this, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and will rebuild the ruins of it, and will set up the parts thereof that have been broken down, and will build it up, as in the ancient days, that the remnant of men and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, may earnestly seek me, saith Yahweh, who does all these things. What James' point is, is that the prophet Amos speaks of a messianic time when there will be Gentiles, that is non-Judaites, who are attaching themselves to Yahweh even though they're not circumcised. For example, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. James goes on to speak a judgment in Acts 15, in regards to this entire matter based upon the passage he has just quoted in the prophet Amos. So he says that they should not cause any difficulties for those who were turning to Yahweh from among the Gentiles. And this is another point that you do not want to miss. Notice that the judgment was given for those who were, number one, turning to Yahweh, and who were, number two, from among the Gentiles. You have to notice this in Acts 15. These Gentiles had not been raised in a Hebraic Torah practicing lifestyle. Remember, they were non-Judaites. They did not stem from the house of Judah. So to tell them that they needed to be circumcised before they can be saved, and then, on top of that, throw the entire law of Moses down upon them at one time as though this is what made them right in the sight of Yahweh, that would be a very big difficulty. What James does instead is he suggests that a letter be written to them that instructs them to abstain from certain activities like pollution of idols, sexual immorality, things strangled, and also blood. And I want you to ponder on this for a second. If the purpose of Acts chapter 15 was to teach that the law of Moses was abolished for the Gentiles, then why in the world did James pronounce four laws straight from the law of Moses? Why did he put those on the Gentiles? See, in that mindset, wouldn't the Gentiles have been correct to respond to this letter by saying, why are you, James, putting this yoke of the Torah upon us? Well, in that mindset, that would be the proper way to understand it, but it's the wrong mindset. This is not the purpose of Acts chapter 15. It's not the purpose of the letter that James suggests should be written. What we see here is James issuing this letter to the Gentiles in various congregations, instructing them to stop committing their most detestable sins. Sins that they had been steeped in because of their upbringing and their culture. Are we to look at these four things as being the only things that the Gentiles needed to be obedient in? Some people take that position. Reading from the King James Version in Acts chapter 15, there are some interpolations into Acts 15 that you will not find in the New American Standard Bible, or other more literal translations that are based upon more ancient Greek New Testament texts. In Acts 15, it says things like in the King James Version, lay upon them no greater burden than these necessary things. It makes it sound as though this was the only four things that the Gentiles needed to be concerned with. Such could hardly be the case, and this is why in the most ancient Greek text of the New Testament, Some of these passages are not found. Some of these sentences are not found. That implies this was the only things that they needed to do. For starters, consider the command to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, people read that in Acts 15, verse 20, and they think, okay, they had to abstain from sexual immorality, or your Bible might say, from fornication. So they say, okay, well, fornication... Uh, that's just maybe sex before marriage, or maybe that's uh, something along that nature. What fornication is in the Greek, it's the Greek word porneia, and it is an extremely broad heading that covers any and every sexually immoral act mentioned through the 18th and 20th chapters of the book of Leviticus. Sexual immorality would include everything from incest, taking a neighbor's wife, laying with a woman during her menstrual impurity, and several other sub-laws that can be categorized up under the heading of porneia, or sexual immorality. And so what we see then is that there was more to sexual immorality in Acts 15 verse 20 than just one particular prohibition. That heading of porneia covered a broad range of of sexually immoral acts. All right, so just by that one law, we see that there were a dozen or more laws that fell up under that particular heading. So we should also ask ourselves about things like, for instance, taking Yahweh's name in vain, honoring your parents, not stealing, not coveting. All of these are missing from the letter written to the Gentiles in Acts 15. Now, are we to assume that the Gentiles need not be concerned with living lives of obedience to these commandments that are found in the written Torah? I mean, just because the letter doesn't say, Gentiles, you should not take Yahweh's name in vain. Does that mean that it's okay for them to take Yahweh's name in vain? Think about this. Well, of course it doesn't mean that. The letter doesn't mention anything about theft. Does it mean that they were trying to tell the Gentiles that, look, the Judahites, they can't steal, they can't commit theft, but it's okay for you to commit theft because we just want you to keep these four necessary things. No, that's not the purpose of the letter, and you should be able to see that it's not difficult at all. Now, this is why James concludes his statement of the four laws by stating what he does in Acts 15, verse 21. Listen carefully. He says this. For since ancient times, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, and he is read aloud in the synagogues every Sabbath day. James' point is this. This is James' point in a nutshell. The Gentiles can stop the sins that they are most steeped in for now. As they attend synagogue service on the Sabbath, they will hear the law of Moses being read aloud, and this will help them learn the Torah and Yahweh will work on their lives little by little. He will grow them into a Torah-obedient people. See, the Gentiles were turning to Yahweh, and to place the entire Torah upon them all at once would sound to them as though it was the Torah that was saving them. When in reality it was not. They were saved by the grace of Yahweh. And not by plopping the whole law of Moses down on them at once. And certainly not by falling up under pharisaical circumcision. See, the law of circumcision was given first to our father Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And he was told that from his point forward, after he circumcised himself, and after everybody in his house, even his servants were circumcised, that anyone else... That came from his loins. Any one of his descendants were to be circumcised on the eighth day. And the circumcision means the flesh of a man's foreskin is to be removed. Now, the command is to cut off the flesh of the foreskin and to make sure that it is done on the eighth day, the eighth day being the eighth day of a child's life. We also see this in Leviticus chapter 12 where Yahweh is giving the instructions for circumcision, and he basically says the same thing, how that on the eighth day of a male child's life, the flesh of his foreskin is to be cut off. It is to be circumcised. It's a sign between the people of Yahweh and Yahweh himself. However, Pharisaical circumcision in the first century is something that we might could call nowadays Talmudic circumcision in that there were several other requirements placed upon Abrahamic and Mosaic circumcision that were not requirements in accordance with the written Torah, but only with the tradition of the elders, which would later be called the oral Torah. This is part of Acts 15 too, and if you missed last week's sermon, you can find it on my website. It's called The Yoke of Bondage. I believe it's number 389 in the sermon section. You need to go back and check that out because we dealt with the oral Torah to some degree because the theme in Acts fifteen is more than onefold. It is twofold. We have some of the tradition of the elders being spoken about early on in the chapter. We have salvation by works being put forth by the Pharisees, and then we have some people that think that the entire law needs to be plopped down upon these Gentiles all at one time, or else they can't not have salvation. To instruct the Gentiles, as James was doing in his letter, to stop their most heinous practices right away and then learn and grow each Sabbath in the synagogue, that makes perfect sense. Now, I explained it to a friend of mine in modern terms like this. Suppose a person that was heavy on drugs, a drug user and a drug dealer, he was both a dealer and a user, he entered into our modern church setting or congregation setting and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon this man and Yahweh delivered him by grace and Yahweh saved him through faith in Yeshua the Messiah the son of Yahweh and he was so excited about it and he felt like he was a brand new man he was a brand new creation and so he really became a new creature he could sense something was different and he came up to me And he asked me, he said, Brother Matthew, what do I need to do in the area of living the Christian life? I feel that God has saved me from my sins and I know that I owe a debt to Him that I cannot pay and Yeshua has paid it for me, but I want to live as a follower of the Messiah. I want to be an imitator of Yeshua, Yahweh's Son. I would be foolish as an elder in the congregation. It would be wrong for me and it would be foolish for me To try to drop the entire Torah on him at one time. Or to try to tell him he had to be circumcised before he could be saved. So what would I do? Well, what I would tell him, I would tell this guy, I would say, Look, brother, what you need to do is stop dealing and using drugs. You need to stop that immediately. Now, why would I tell him that? I would tell him that because this was the most heinous practice that he was wrapped up in in his sinful lifestyle lest he continue to ruin his life and other people's lives that were on terribly, terribly bad drug addictions, I want to tell him to stop that immediately. No more of that. Stop it, cold turkey, all at one time. And then I would explain to him, keep coming back to Sabbath service, keep coming back to church, and you'll continuously, as you listen to the Bible be read, as you listen to the sermons being taught, you'll learn other aspects of the Christian life as you come to church and as you hear the other brothers and sisters and you learn to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Almighty Yahweh. So this is the true understanding of Acts chapter 15. So many people have taken Acts chapter 15 and they have used it as a springboard to do away with the law of Yahweh. They have used it, some people have, as a springboard to do away with Some of the laws of Yahweh because we know that we do have some people that profess to be commandment keepers. But in reality, when you begin to get down to the nitty-gritty and to the detail to talk to them about the commandments, really they're only keeping, let's say, maybe they've seen the validity of the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Or maybe they've also seen the validity of the dietary laws, but when it comes to things like wearing tassels or when it comes to things like a man not shaving his face or when it comes to the feast days, they want to group all that maybe under the ceremonial law. And they kind of want to shove that under the rug when, as I've taught before, Yeshua said he did not come to destroy not even the jots or the tills, which is the smallest letter and the stroke of the letter in the Hebrew olive bait. So we can't use Acts 15 to overturn the teachings of Yahweh, number one, the instructions the Torah. We can't use Acts 15 to overturn the teachings of Yeshua. And I believe that a detailed examination of Acts chapter 15, what we've done in last week's lesson and this week's lesson, is we've showed that the passage doesn't overturn the Torah. It doesn't overturn the teachings of Yeshua in Matthew 5, 14 through 19. It doesn't overturn any instructions of Yahweh found in Scripture. All it is is a decision based upon the group of elders in Jerusalem that we cannot allow the oral traditions, we cannot allow the Pharisaical ways of following the traditions to be placed upon these new converts these non-Judaite converts, okay? And we also cannot make any action that will lead them to think that they are saved because of their obedience. We must understand this. Now, I probably am a Bible teacher that promotes the law of Yahweh more than most You say, Brother Matthew, are you perfect in the Torah? No way. I'm not perfect in the Torah. I fail miserably at times in obedience to the Torah. But I ask Yahweh to forgive me. I repent. I try to do better the next time. And I grow. You know, I'm definitely more of a Torah keeper now than I was 10 years ago. The flip side of that is this. I also understand, not just based upon the New Testament, But I also understand, based upon the Torah and the Tanakh, the entirety of the Old Testament, that my obedience to the law is not what saves me. I could keep the Sabbath day perfectly, I mean to the T, without any flaws, and that is not what saves my soul from sin. The reason it's not is because I haven't always kept the Sabbath day perfectly without any flaws. And there'll be Sabbaths in the future that I won't keep perfectly without any flaws. I am a sinner, but by the grace of Almighty Yahweh. That, on the one hand, doesn't give me a license to sin. But on the other hand, it means that I must be saved by His grace through placing my trust in His work and what He's done through His Son. And I think that's what Yaakov and Shaul and the other elders At the Jerusalem Council, we're trying to get across to the Gentiles. Not only a forbiddance of laying down the tradition of the elders, but also, look, we don't need to lay a yoke upon them and try to tell them that they have to keep the law in order to have salvation. No, that's not the issue. Law-keeping is something that flows out from the heart and out of the mind. It's something that comes about because you have been delivered, because you have set free by the grace of Yahweh. I hear rumors from time to time that get spread concerning my beliefs and some of my brethren's beliefs and that we think that we're saved by obedience to the law and they get that not because they come and ask us but they get that because they know that they see us trying to be obedient to Yahweh's law and they wonder well why are you trying to obey the law if it's not the law that saves you? And we quote passages like 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. John 14:15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 2, 2-4. He that saith, he knoweth him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. And we could go on and on and on. Romans 6, 1. Should we therefore continue to transgress the law that grace might abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many as have been baptized into the Messiah have been baptized into his death? Therefore, as we are buried with him in baptism, we shall also be resurrected with him to walk in the newness of life. So we obey the law because we love our Creator and because it is the inevitable outworking of a changed heart. You cannot be a saved person if you still desire to Do the things that Yahweh hates. If that is your strongest desire, to do the things that Yahweh hates, you are not a regenerated person. Now your obedience, if you are obeying the Torah purely, and out of a true heart, and out of a true mind, and it's there, and it's pleasing to Yahweh, that doesn't mean that that obedience is what is causing you to have salvation. It is flowing from your salvation, and that's what James and Paul did not want these non-Judaite believers in Acts 15. Like Cornelius in Acts 10, he did not want them to get the idea of that they were being saved by their obedience. He wanted them to recognize they're saved just like everybody else has been saved by the grace of Yahweh through the plan of His only begotten Son, Yeshua the Messiah. But that doesn't mean you can just continue to live a licentious life. And so you'll stop your foremost detestable practices... And then you'll come to the synagogues and you will learn the rest of the Torah week after week after week. And little by little, year by year, decade by decade, you'll grow more into a man or a woman who loves Yahweh and is obedient to the laws of Yahweh. That's exactly what Acts 15 is talking about. The balance is, is that we don't want to swing too far to one side and teach what I sometimes call greasy grace whereby we think that Yeshua has done everything and so we don't need to do anything. Now, is it true that Yeshua has done everything for us? Yes, it is. It is true. But it is likewise true that we, as His followers, as His disciples, and disciples is a word that has to do with discipline, we, as His disciples, need to follow in His footsteps. 1 John 2, verse 6 says that if any man says he abides in the Messiah, he ought to walk even as he walked. We are to be Christians, which means a follower of Christ. I'm not talking about just following him where he walks. I'm talking about following his teachings. Okay, And we also don't want to go the other route that thinks we're being justified by our obedience. We don't ever want to think that no matter how good we obey the Torah, we never need to get in our minds That that is what is justifying us. We always, always need to recognize that our obedience is only even there because Yahweh has had grace upon our life. The only reason you can keep the Sabbath day, the only reason you can observe the dietary laws... Or anything else, the only reason you can keep the feast days or honor your parents or not steal or not murder or not commit adultery is because of the grace and the hand of Almighty Yahweh reaching down and saving your soul from sin. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, hath He quickened, hath He made alive. See, you're a dead man spiritually before Yahweh quickens you by His Holy Spirit, His set-apart Spirit. And He revives you and brings you up to walk in the newness of life. I hope that you understand Acts 15 more. I want to offer you a free book, free of charge, if you just listen to the contact information that is upcoming at the end of this broadcast. This book is called Learning to Love His Law. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.